This is the Dallas Morning News. This is the Dallas Morning News. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by my pals Evan Grant and David Moore. Uh, David is in Oxnard. Evan's back in his lovely abode. Uh, Evan, it's so good to see that you're you're back home from your road trip. Well, you did such a fine job bringing the Rangers through the trade deadline, and not such a fine job at bringing them through San Diego uh, or you know pretty much any place else for that matter. They they've stunk it up. So yeah, oh, oh that road trip. Fault. I thought you meant Italy. <laughs> no. Not not Italy, not the Italy road trip. No, that's old news now. We've moved on. That is old news. It was Houston and San Diego, and not a great road trip for the Rangers, but they accomplished a lot of stuff. They got a lot of trades done. That was what it was all about, right? It wasn't about the game on the field. That's right. We didn't care about the game on the field. What the heck? Yeah, we're going to get to that all in a minute. Uh, I'm out here, and uh, I'm, I'm tagging along with a lovely wife uh, on the uh, one of her boondoggles. I'm here in Palm Desert. Uh, spent a couple, a few days in Palm Springs before that. You know, it's it's really hot out here. I, I don't I don't know if I if that makes anybody feel any better that I'm gone on vacation and I'm in a place just as hot as the place I left. I, you okay, know, I desert in the summer. What were you expecting? Well, I will say this: we got our room for a really cheap rate. Uh, yeah, there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. Got your room at a resort for $27 a night. Yeah, I'm going to do a little plug here for a place called the Holiday House in Palm Springs. A little charming little place there. Uh, uh, Nick, the, the general manager, what a great guy. Come to the pool every day, bringing us cold towels, bringing us watermelon, bringing us little uh, non-alcoholic drinks, all of that for free. It was just Unbelievable. You had me right up until non-alcoholic drinks. <laughs> well, those I just say them the free ones. Those are that was the free stuff. He, he did bring us uh, alcoholic drinks when we when we ordered them. So yeah, great little place. I recommend it highly. You should go. Maybe they'll underwrite today's podcast. That'll yeah, nice. that's, that's a, there's a thought. Yeah, I like that idea. I do. Okay, all right. I, I'm so glad you had a fun time, Kevin. Yeah, and the, and the fun times continue. It seems sincere. Rolling right along, right from one thing to the next. And of course, it's being interrupted by this podcast, but what the heck? You know, not, uh, you can't have everything. Every vacation has its dark moments, and this is that. All right, Evan, we had a big blockbuster trade deadline. Where do you rank this one in, in the history of uh, trade deadlines that you have covered for the Dallas Warriors in your 46 years covering the range? That's a good question, Kevin, actually. Um, you know, there have been all kinds of different trade trade deadlines for this club. Um, two that stick out for me are, are 98 when, the, when Doug Melvin basically locked himself in a hotel room for three days and came away with a bunch of pitchers and traded away Fernando Tatis um, to kind of preserve that season. Obviously, the other one was 07 when the Rangers went out and traded Mark Teixeira as sellers and and got, you know, a great package for him. Um, I, I think this year they, they did a really good job of, of being aggressive buyers without um, really compromising the future of the farm system. Uh, 
they gave up some good players. I think Luis Angel Acuna and, and Thomas Ajaysi could be everyday big league players. But I also think that when you look at this organization right now, there is a depth at middle infielder in the system and at the big league level. And those guys were blocked and you were going to run into some roster problems eventually with them. You know, Acuna was on the 40 man roster. He wasn't ready to play in the big leagues. And so you didn't ever have him as an option this year. Um, and, and so, you know, they did what they needed to do. Going out and getting four pitchers over the course of 30 days, like Chris Young did, is is spectacularly heavy lifting. And he got accomplished pitchers, right? Aroldis Chapman is a has been a 40-save guy. He got a three-time Cy Young winner and one of the generation's most competitive pitchers in Max Scherzer. Um, got a guy who I think is pretty underrated in Jordan Montgomery as, as a starter. And I also think that the Chris Stratton deal or, or that part of it in the Montgomery deal is a little bit underrated. This is a guy that both Bruce Bochy and, and Mike Maddox have some familiarity with. And I think it's, it's a guy that for the role the Rangers will use him in, which is kind of a middle relief role, the sixth or the, the sixth inning. Um, it's a, it's going to be a valuable tool for Bruce Bochy. That's where the, that's where so many games have gone awry for the Rangers this year and where they've had to use so many rookies, uh, having an experienced hand there is is worth noting. You know, Stratton last year came over to St. Louis um, from Pittsburgh at the deadline. Maddox only had him for about two months, but he had remarkably different results with the Cardinals than he did with the Pirates. I think his ERA was 278 for 22 innings, didn't allow a home run. These are things that, that have all been issues for the Rangers' bullpen so far. All right, there's a lot of stuff to unpack here at the deadline. I want to start, though, with something that we really haven't discussed and you haven't really written about a lot because there's so much other stuff to write. But in the guys who were dealt in these trades and guys who were not dealt. So let's talk about um, the fact that uh, that Ezekiel Duran is still with the big league club. I have to feel like that the reason for that is, and I don't know, and of course we don't know yet if he was ever dangled out there or not or if the Rangers would rather, I don't know if the Rangers would rather have Ezekiel Duran than, than Acuna. Uh, so at this point, do you feel like they felt, well, Seager's, you know, still out. He's, got, he's supposedly going to be back this week, but, you know, he's had injury issues before. Uh, Duran's done a great job filling in for him. We, we can't afford to lose that kind of player right now. I think I'm, I think you're you're making it even more complicated than it needs to be. I mean, I, I think the bottom line is Ezekiel Duran has proven himself as a very capable big league player, capable of being an everyday player, um, and he's capable of being really versatile. And so there is there is use for him this year and going forward. Uh, certainly, look, you get to the off season, and if you've got the ability to to make a deal that fills a long term need at, at pitcher, maybe you do consider. Ezekiel Duran, but he'd have more value. I, I, I think you'd have a bigger pool to choose from at that point in time in terms of potential trade partners. For the time being, Zeke is as good an option as they can, as they can run out there, whether it's at shortstop, um, God forbid Marcus Simeon have an injury at second base, uh, or, you know, in left field when Corey Seager comes back. Uh, yeah, I you know, to, 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 to look at Acuna and see what Acuna could become. If he becomes an everyday big league player, 
that, there's a lot of value in that. And what Duran has proven this year is he is already that at the age of 24. So um, I think keeping him was, was significant at this point in time. I think the Rangers made all these deals without trading any of their three best prospects, Evan Carter, Owen White, or Sebastian Walcott, the 17-year-old shortstop who was signed out of the Bahamas. Um, you know, you look at what Houston did. Obviously, Houston is a lesser system, but the Astros traded their number one prospect, um, and the second outfielder that they dealt, uh, Radford or, or Clifford, I'm sorry, um, a lot of people had him as their number two prospect in the Justin Verlander deal. So the Astros already had a thin system and they dealt their top two prospects to, to get Justin Verlander. The Rangers didn't touch their top, any of their top three in order to get Max Scherzer, uh, didn't touch their top five in, in order to get any of the players they got. So, uh, uh, from the Rangers perspective, I think they did a really good job of trying to thread the needle of opening their window right now, but not closing it on the back end. You know, they, they gave up some talent, but pretty much at all those spots where they gave up talent, they are covered. The one question I've got long-term, and I think Tim Kalashaw brought this up this morning, is, you know, they have had to go out and get pitching. And part of that is because the guys that they've drafted and the guys that they've pinned their hopes on developing have been a little bit slow or taken some steps backward. And that is something they're going to have to address, right? I mean, Leiter has not taken steps forward this year. Rocker obviously had the injury. Cole Wynn has gone backwards. And so you dealt a guy in TK Roby who I think was really moving into that realm of, of top three or four pitching prospects in, in the organization. I think one thing that does, um, I don't want to say cancel that out a little bit, but maybe um, nullifies it just slightly is the fact that Dane Acker, uh, who they had gotten two years ago from, from the A's in the Elvis Andrus deal, and who had been hurt for much of the time, has come back and is absolutely lighting it up at Frisco and may very well move very fast from here on out. Yeah, you know, that's the thing, and, and uh, I wrote about this a little earlier uh, this summer, is that, you know, when you haven't produced any pitching, which the Rangers haven't, uh, and historically, basically, they haven't, not since the 80s, really, have they produced any significant pitching talent um, from their system, it only takes one or two, you know. You, you look back, if, if they had kept Kyle Hendricks, you know, what would that have meant to this system? They have him in the middle of their rotation for 10 years, 12 years. That's all you really need. You only really need to hit on one or two of these guys, and then if you're smart and you keep them, uh, well, then they're in your rotation forever. And it's a little bit like the whole situation in the Rangers middle infield. That you can cry about Acuna all you want, and I had people crying to me about it, readers saying, oh, my gosh, how can they trade that guy? Well, when was he ever going to play? And I will say this also about Acuna. I think everybody thinks that every top prospect in a system, the one, the two, the three, the four, is going to be a superstar, and that's simply not the case. Corey Seager is so far ahead of those guys. Corey Seager is on a track to be a Hall of Famer, you know, I don't know that Luis Angel Acuna is going to be a Hall of Famer. What they're projecting for him right now, as, as I read this morning, was that he'd probably be a guy who hits 15 to 18 home runs, has some speed, you know, hit for contact, pretty good, pretty good player. That's not Corey Seager, you know, and, and Corey Seager's not going anywhere at shortstop for the Rangers. So you can always make the, the case that, well, 
They should have saved that talent to trade for somebody else. But to me, at this time, you're going to have to give up something, right? Uh, and to get back something. And and, uh, and and look, if I'm making that trade, I'd rather have had Justin Verlander than Max Scherzer. I, I get what the, I think that what Chris Young was going for here. Maybe some of the familiarity with Mike Maddox uh, had a little bit to do with that. Uh, we don't even know how much Justin Verlander wanted to play for the Rangers. Maybe maybe he wanted to play for the Astros. Maybe he was more comfortable going back there, didn't even want to come to the Rangers. So we don't know any of those things. But Well, I mean, there, back- are a couple thing, there are a couple things on that to keep in, in mind, right? Verlander, the Rangers did approach Verlander during the offseason and really didn't get anywhere with him. So you had that. Um, second thing, um, you uh, – in, in Verlander, you also had a guy who missed the first month of the season this year, who is a year older than Scherzer, and maybe you know maybe the aging process is going to move along faster with with Verlander than it is with Scherzer. Um, well, he's not throwing as hard as he was before. There's no question about that. He's getting by more on guile now than he is on simply blowing hitters away. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I and. And listen, there were two bad starts. I went back and looked at Scherzer's year again. And there there were two bad starts for Scherzer in June, back-to-back against Atlanta and against the Yankees. And you can make the case that even though the Yankees are technically in last place in the American League East, that's still a pretty good team. Um, since then, he's been, he's been completely fine. I think the familiarity with Mike, I think clearly Max was getting frustrated with the vision in New York and, and, and how it changed. Um, and I, I just think that, that it's a good move for him and for the Rangers. And I, if you want to split, I think if you want if you want to split hairs, you can split hairs. Both these guys are going to the hall of fame. Both these guys are multi, multi-time Cy Young award winners. Um, Verlander, Verlander clearly has a bigger name. We'll we'll see what the better evaluation was going down the stretch, but I, I I think that there were some elements that added to this that made it more attractive for Chris Young. Just like you said, the familiarity, I think maybe the health situation from earlier in the year, um, and certainly you know look, Chris Young put some stock into this. He, he doesn't want to have to convince a guy um, to come to Texas. He wants to convince him that the vision for winning is is appropriate and clearly the rangers got nowhere with justin verlander on that or in the offseason so that may matter well no no question about that uh so let's look at this uh, from the standpoint of those two pitchers uh because this is fascinating to me uh you, you had to almost be sure that this was going to be what happened once the rangers uh traded for scherzer you knew the astros were going to end up with verlander the mess were not going to keep him The word was that it was either going to be the Dodgers or the Astros. And so you just knew that the Astros were going to make that move and and bring him back. And that's even, I think, what Jim Crane said, that his his GM came running into the room saying, the Rangers just made the deal for uh, Scherzer. we got to get Verlander. Uh, And that's that's the story that came out of it. The only question I had, I mean, I I think that it was not going to be, it was not going to be surprising that the Astros would pursue Verlander. But given how thin their system was, I just didn't know if they had enough. The Dodgers certainly had more talent to give if they wanted to, um, and maybe that was 
the route the Mets wanted to go, but it doesn't appear that the Dodgers were willing to make that move. No, I don't think so either, uh, and and, and yeah, maybe rightfully so. You know, we'll we'll see. But this will be, and I'm assuming, unless both of these guys just bomb, let's just say that, that Scherzer and and Berlander both are terrible the rest of the way, and so they're no they're non factors in the race. I don't think that's going to happen. I believe that either one or the other, and, and possibly both, will will pitch really well and be significant factors in the race from this point on. And so you'll you know fair or not, you'll be able to sit back and say, well. Uh, the Rangers made the right move getting Scherzer, or the Astros made the right move by getting Verlander. You know, one or the other is going to is going to determine this, and so that's going to be a great subtext to me for this race, this AL West, the rest of the way out, because there are other factors here, uh, starting with the fact that the Rangers did get another starting pitcher, right, and the, and the Astros did do that, although. First day of the of the trade deadline, or when the trade deadline's over, one of their pitchers goes out and throws a no hitter. So. Talk about karma. I mean, holy cow. I, I don't know what you could say that was anything better than that for somebody to do that, unless it's the fact that uh, Andrew Heaney, who's been pretty terrible off and on, gets 11 strikeouts in six innings, a shutout ball. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't want to say Andrew Heaney's been terrible. I, I know where you're coming you're, where you're coming from, and I, I just think he's been inconsistent, and I think that's been a little bit – that's been a little bit of a disappointment for the Rangers – but he's had some tremendous games and he's had some real clunkers. I do just think it was like really great juxtaposition, right? That the Rangers, or not juxtaposition, but it was really great uh, symbolism, let's say, that the Rangers went out, they got all those pitchers, they went out, they threw a 2-0 shutout over the White Sox in a minute, in an hour and 58 minutes. And then eight minutes later came word from Houston, which had followed the Rangers and going out and getting the pitching that they had said, okay, we're going to throw a no hitter. <laughs> so yeah. um, great first day to have a great kickoff to the final two months of the season. Um, and I think it is going to be really interesting. The, for me, the shame of it is that with the balance schedule, and there's a lot of things I like about the balance schedule, but with the balance schedule, basically the Rangers Astros season series is over. They play, I think three games here in Arlington in early September and that's the only head-to-head matchup that they have the rest of the way. I think if you remember in 15, when these teams went head-to-head, there was there was more uh, head-to-head playing in, in August and September. Yeah, and that's true. I want to throw in, too, that another guy who had been talked about, uh, speculated about being a potential Rangers target, Lance Lynn, goes out and throws seven innings uh, for the Dodgers in his first start for them. Uh, you know, uh, it's so easy to look at this, and I get so tired of fans who say, oh, this guy's terrible, this, you know, or the Mets can't even give Scherzer or Verlander away. And so then, so how does that explain the guys they got back for them? I know that they paid down a lot uh, to get those guys, but uh, of course they make a difference. And I think especially with veteran pitchers, you just feel like in the second half of a season like this, it's just like, I don't know, an, an, an old, I don't want to make this too bad of a, of a comparison, but like an old broken down horse that when you, we would ride these horses on the beach sometimes. And when you turn them around to go back to where we came from, they're practically run. You can't stop them, you know, on the way out, they're just poking along. And as soon as you turn them around, they are running back. You, you know, you couldn't stop the horses from getting back. So I, I got that feeling with these veteran pitchers like that. If they get a chance to be on a team that's, that's competitive, this is going to really, Jazz them up a little bit. I, I can't understand Eduardo Rodriguez of the, of the Tigers 
turning down that deal to go to the Dodgers. What in the world was he thinking? Well, now remember, this is a guy, I mean, the one thing on Eduardo Rodriguez is, remember, this is a guy who took two and a half months away from the Tigers, I think it was last year, maybe it was earlier this year, be, to tend to some issues with his family. So I don't want to I don't want to sit here and say, you know, this guy didn't want to win. This is a guy who had some issues family-wise and, and understood. All I can say is this, from my perspective, from my background in dealing with Lance Lynn, this was a guy that even though this stuff is backed up a little bit, this was a guy who had, who is also an ultra competitive guy who really cherishes the ability to win has not been to a world series in 12 years. And I think that there is something to be said for when you get a guy like that with a track record, that you can get a two month push out of that guy. Even if he's backed up a little bit, the desire is going to drive him. And I thought, I thought Lance Lynn was a guy the Rangers um, should have been interested in going back to as early as May when issues, you know, started presenting themselves. Um, and I think it's very telling that the Los Angeles Dodgers, with their track record on history and their track record of success, were interested in this guy. So um, the Dodgers made a, a really good package deal for Lynn and Kelly, two guys with track records. Two guys who are veterans. And again, in Kelly, they get a guy for their bullpen that they've got some familiarity with. And I don't discount that at all. Um, but those that was also a package the Rangers had shown some interest in. All right. Even with all the things that Chris Young did at the deadline, which was, like as you said, a lot of heavy lifting, no back-end arm for the bullpen. Uh, are you disappointed in that? I, I think – uh, listen, I would like to have another arm still if I'm the Rangers. That said, I also look around and I say, <laughs> I've added four pitchers in 30 days. That's a lot. I also think that Chris Young, and I asked him about this last night, again, that that the net or, or the, the, the gross was one relief pitcher acquired at the deadline. I think the net will be more like three because – Montgomery and Scherzer, Kevin, your chin is, you were just jutting right into, it was not a good look there on camera for just a second. We were getting. Just I, have a, I have a lovely chin. Um, but as much as you may have been trying to distract me, I, I think I, I, you're going to end up moving probably two starters into the bullpen, whether that's Martin Perez and Dane Dunning or Martin Perez and Andrew Heaney or Heaney and Dunning, you're going to move two starters into the bullpen. So I think the, the way the Rangers look at it is it's almost a net of five pitchers that they just, that they pulled off in the last couple of days because Montgomery and Scherzer go into the rotation. Uh, Stratton goes into the bullpen and then two capable starters who have pitched to some degree with success in the bullpen will slide into middle inning bullpen roles where they can be really effective, like one time through the order. Um, would I loved, would I have loved to have had Emmanuel class a? Yeah, I would have. I just don't think that that ever became a realistic possibility. And so I think what the Rangers did is they went out and they added, they added starters. They're going to be able to shift some guys to the bullpen. And then I think an underrated move that they made in the last 20 minutes of the of the trading period was to go out and get Austin Hedges, a catcher who has led a pitching staff before, who's exceptional at framing. And I think this is something that, 
that the that showed up for the Rangers over the weekend in San Diego because there were a lot of calls on balls that appeared to be strikes that they didn't get. So I think Hedges can give them some help behind the plate. Uh, he's not going to give you much offensively, but I think it's another tangential kind of move to help the pitching staff. So they did – look, we said all along, Kevin, that this pitching staff needed help, right? Um and they did a lot of work to, to help this pitching staff. Whether it's enough or not, we'll see. I You look around the league and you look at some of the arms that other people picked up and they're bigger names than what the Rangers got. But again, both these, both the manager and the pitching coach have some success with Stratton. Um, and then when you slide those other guys down there, I think you, you're looking at a situation where you may be much better off getting through the area that had been the biggest problem, the sixth and seventh inning, and then being able to save Aroldis Chapman and Will Smith for the eighth and ninth. So let me ask you this. So when the when the Mets traded David Robertson, uh, was there any feeling uh, that, or at least there wasn't on my part, that, wow, if you're, if you're going for one of those two aces, which I figured they probably were, uh, and they ended up with Scherzer, why not sweeten the deal a little bit and, and include – uh, Robertson with Scherzer, were they? Did they have any interest, interest in him at all? They had some interest in Robertson. I mean, he was he was in that group of of relievers that they were interested in. I don't know if you know you start talking about sweetening the deal and you start talking about enlarging the deal, and it always adds some complication of the matter. And at about the point in time that the Rangers that the Mets dealt or the Mets dealt Robertson to the Marlins, I think that's the point in time when the Rangers were heaviest in on Lynn and Kelly. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that Chris Young couldn't juggle multiple things, but I just don't know if if those things were moving in that direction. And keep in mind that Scherzer said yesterday that it wasn't until after David Robertson was traded that it became apparent that the Mets were changing vision. And it wasn't until after his start on Friday night that Billy Epler and then Steve Cohen both told Scherzer that, yeah, our vision is changing and we do foresee potentially trading off a lot of pieces, which is when Scherzer said, okay, I'll waive my no trade clause. And within hours he was dealt with the Rangers. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's let's turn over a little bit to the uh, the lineup because you alluded to this uh, before the deadline, the possibility that maybe some of these young hitters were getting a little uh, frustrated, burnout uh, by the season, and chasing more, much more so than they had been, and maybe they should make a deal and get some something for the offense. They didn't do that, of course. Hedges is not coming as a hitter; he's coming as a as a defensive uh, player and, and pitch framer. Um, so. You know, even even with the win uh, over the White Sox, two to nothing, uh, they're still not scoring. That was two home runs. That was it. Uh, they're not getting guys on base, uh, and they're not uh, and they're not knocking those guys in when they do. So, at what point uh, do we see them? You know, at what point do we see the message getting back to them? Hey, be more patient. Uh, you know, quit. You know, Josh Young in particular is really. Uh, struggling. He's had a high strikeout rate all season, but he seems to be really struggling with pitches down, sinkers, that kind of thing, uh, really messing with his uh, head a little bit. Yeah, he's not been in a great place for the last week or so. He had a good series in Houston. Um, in San Diego, the number of breaking balls he saw and that he chased really 
piled up. I just think you look at all those young hitters, and they're all going through a pennant race for the first time. You know, Duran, as we mentioned, I don't think he spends a lot of time, you know, on the website or checking Twitter, but it's it's certainly possible that he had heard his name as a potential trade guy. And that they just are distractions, right? You, you, you go through this, you wonder what your role is going to be. You wonder if somebody's coming in. You wonder, you get excited about what the team's going to do. You play Houston with, with first place on the line. You get a little bit amped up. Um, it's now August 1st. The week of the deadline is a stressful week for everybody. Everybody in baseball, it's a stressful week, and a lot of weird stuff happens. It's time for those guys to lock it back in. But I think the biggest thing that's going to help those guys is potentially getting Corey Seager back this week from his thumb injury. I don't know what the long-term deal is going to be on Jonah Heim, uh, but that really is looking like a huge cog to take out of the lineup because Jonah had been so good um, uh, both offensively and defensively. And... um, you take two all-star starters out of a lineup, you know, it, it's going to create some holes. It just is. Well, no question. Uh, before we uh, go over and talk about the Cowboys and training camp, I do want to uh, kind of finish up with the, the catching situation because we've talked a lot about Jonah Hyman, what the, you know, the loss of his offense and defense means, the best all-around catcher in the American League. Uh, but Mitch Garver made a point that, you know, uh, he likes to – he, he doesn't hit as well when he's a DH. He likes to be in the game. He does better. And his numbers have borne that out, right? It homered in uh, the game uh, Tuesday night, and, uh, uh, and, he's, and he's done very well. Now, I don't know how much he can catch uh, because apparently you need to have him doing that and not DHing. Uh, and so it will be very interesting to me to see what how they balance that and how – how Hedges works into this and and, uh, and and what they do going forward and, and uh, if if Hedges will be – I mean, is, is one guy catching two games a week and one catching four? I mean, how are they going to do it? I, I You know, I don't know. I mean, they, they will work a rotation in and they are going to carry three catchers. Um, I don't know that it's going to be very successful for Sam Huff because it just means very little playing time for him. You know, I do think that there are some things you can do with Garver – potentially to catch him every other day and DH him maybe two out of three days. Um, Maybe that brings the DH numbers up a little bit because he is more regularly involved in the catching situation. And maybe it's a situation with Austin Hedges too, where look, if you get into a game and you need to score some offense and that spot comes up, you, you at least have offensive weapons that you can throw out there and still cover yourself at catcher. So it's going to be interesting to see exactly how the Rangers try and handle this, um, at least for the next three weeks. I don't think that you get Heim back for a minimum of three weeks if you get him back. And I do think it's really possible that when Jonah comes back, based on what I've heard about this wrist injury uh, and based on what I've looked at, he may not be able to swing from the right side. So he may only be an option um, – the swing from the left side. And I, and I don't know if that makes him a platoon catcher at that point or what, but um, those are all things worth considering. I'm just going to say this about Sam Huff, who, you know, nothing against him, but uh, when I was in Round Rock uh, two weeks ago, uh, there was a squeeze play. He's behind the plate. Uh, the guy misses the bunt. The guy coming from third is dead. 
he is dead. He, you can hear his feet stomping the ground as he's trying to stop halfway home. Sam rises up and throws the first to try to get the guy there. I believe that was the yeah. first for me. I don't think I've ever seen that on a baseball field. I mean, it's I, I can't. You're when you're trying to make a championship catcher, and listen, Bobby Wilson has high standards. He grew up under Mike Sosha. Mike Sosha's as hard on catchers as anybody. Bobby's I, I Bobby's really a positive energy guy, but I think it also there also comes with a high level of expectation. Um, all of that can tend to lead to speeding up the brain, speeding up the game for guys, and they make mistakes that, that just seem you know inexplicable to us and, and to the naked eye. And with everything the Rangers are trying to get Sam Huff to do in terms of call games, take control with pitching staff, frame pitches, you know, and let what is his biggest skill, his power, play, it, it's a lot. And I, I think the, the development is taking a little bit longer probably than everybody would like. But the Rangers still feel like this is a guy who's got the ability to be an everyday catcher. There's no doubt about his power. I have always just questioned whether or not a guy that big can catch on a day-to-day basis. It, it, there's just a lot of body movement that goes into it, there, and, and, and it just tends to be a little bit slower. I got to say this about Huff. Not only is he a big guy, I mean, Jonah Heim's a big guy, but he's a much more languid, uh, loose kind of build. Uh, Sam looks like a statue. You know, that, that is the most upright player I think I've ever seen. And he has, there is something about him that just summons up the, the term steel. He, he just seems like he's made of something a, a little different from, from most baseball players. And the, and the, and the power is un, unbelievable. And, and I, do, I do believe he's got a future in baseball. I just don't know if it's as a catcher. You know, I don't know if he can play first base either. I don't know when he can play, but I, I think somebody with that kind of power and that kind of potential has real potential. He has to play somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that he's going to get a chance at some point in time, eventually somewhere. And look, the thought has always been, well, if he can't catch, we can try him at first base. He's played a little bit of first base. I think they're going to exhaust the catching thing to whatever extent they possibly can before they make any decisions about anything else. Yeah, no question about that. All right, let's talk about Cowboys. So, David Moore, what is it like out there in uh, lovely Oxnard these days? Uh, you know, I'm out here in Palm Desert, and it's it's pretty nice here, except that it's, I don't know, 100 degrees. Is it, It's cooler than that in Oxnard, isn't it? There's a bit of a temperature difference between the two, although I, I will say, my friends, the marine layer has been burning off early out here, so it's it's been soaring to 75 on certain days. <laughs> 75. But, yeah. Yeah. Oh I guess gosh. after what was it? I saw uh, Phoenix just had what 33 days of 110 or more. So they probably don't want to be hearing that. Yeah. We can't even get our hotel room down to 75. But anyway, <laughs> that's, okay. that's all right. So, uh, so David, uh, so, so Jerry Jones and Mike McCarthy seem to differ on whether Zeke Elliott's coming back or not. Uh, what, what do you think? Uh, who's, who's ruling the day here? Is it Jerry or is it Mike? Oh, I don't know that, that there's a difference of opinion as much as there is Jerry just not wanting to insult uh, Ezekiel Elliott in any way publicly. Uh, of saying, you know, we'll always keep the door open. We're looking at this, but 
you know, the the facts are that they made their decision back in March to move on. Uh, they assigned his number to, you know, to an, another player. Um, so he's, he's not coming back. Now, I guess if there was some dramatic uh, personnel, I mean, it, only if you're losing Tony Pollard and you have no options, are you really going to go back to Ezekiel Elliott? And, and while, you know, everyone talks about what a, uh, a, a great teammate he he was last year and the entire time he's been here, uh, which is all true from what I can tell from everyone I've talked to. Um, you know, last year you were transitioning from him clearly being the guy to Pollard being the guy, the main guy in the run game. But Zeke was still kind of a 1A, right? A 1B. It was kind of a 1A, 1B situation. If he came back this year, you're looking at a guy who maybe only has six to eight carries a game, uh, can't play special teams, and is in a very limited role for you. And that really kind of rips at the entire identity uh, and status that Ezekiel Elliott had with this team before. So I I think while everyone appreciates uh, his love of his teammates and wanting to be a Cowboy I think everyone knows on some level it, it's better to to move on with the identity you have versus the very jarring transition to that next phase where you've gone from the offense revolving around you to a bit player and you know you're you're really not even secondary but in some ways just tertiary to our success. I, I think that would be I think that'll be very difficult in the dynamics of the locker room. So, so for all of those reasons, I, I don't believe it'll happen. I also think this team's committed to, um, look, um, you know, we have young players we feel good about that we develop and we want to give them these roles. Now, if they don't fill those roles, then do you revisit it? Maybe, but I still think you would revisit it with someone, uh, a veteran who, makes less money than what Ezekiel Elliott would want to come in to fill that role. So I, I don't with that in mind. Can I offer a theory? Please. Evan, go right ahead. Jerry likes head. Well, uh, we used to call them headlines. I don't know what we call them anymore since there's, since the print newspaper is a thing of the past, but I think Jerry still have headlines on digital stories too, Evan. People read the website. Yeah. Exactly. We hope. I just, I, I mean, Jerry just likes to churn it, doesn't he? Yes. I mean, we know Zeke's not coming back. We know there's no, there's no way that he's coming back. But Jerry just likes to churn it and and likes to to stir it up a little bit. He likes to keep people talking, and and you know, there, there's not a lot going on at this camp other than a holdout by a Pro Bowl guard. Um, and Jerry's always great at giving people storylines and. And uh, in addition to what's going on, and yeah, that's it. And and look, he also did that with the he he went back on one of his uh, uh, old reliables, the uh, the Ring of Honor, to bring that I up. Was gonna, know, I was going to mention the Ring of Honor. Yeah. Out. Now now we've gone not just from uh, you know him him saying that uh, you know Jimmy Johnson will be in the Ring of Honor, but he's never said when. Now he's gone to well, there ought to be two or three other coaches in there with him. So now that was just that was just rubbing it in to uh, for Cowboys fans who are are still remarkably irate over the fact that uh, Jerry has not had uh, Jimmy Johnson in the Ring of Honor yet. Uh, But 
same thing. And then he said, you know, when he's asked specifically about it, and it's like, okay, well, who are those two to three other coaches be? He's going, well, that's not what this is about. I'm not getting into that. I'm just, and then he goes on and on. And then he concludes it by saying, but, you know, we talk about this a lot more, don't we? Uh, you know, this is, uh, we, we can talk about this at any time and that conversation's good. So, um, he, he knows which buttons to push. He knows if, uh, if the conversation is going in one area with the Cowboys or worse, if there's no conversation about the Cowboys for a day or two, uh, Jerry knows how to get the conversation going. So if you're not going to have, uh, um, well, let's look at, first of all, the fact that Ronald Jones, uh, the, the one veteran running back they brought in, was suspended the first two games of the season for uh, use of PEDs, which he denies, of course. No one ever admits that they use PEDs. Uh, yes, he, he says there's a history of heart disease in his family, and he was taking a heart stimulant. He didn't specifically say what it was, but he said he was taking a heart stimulant. It was for his health and because of his family's disease history. Well, you know, I got a history of heart disease, too, in my family, and, and I've never tested for BED. Although maybe I should, you know, maybe that, maybe I'd, uh, I don't know, maybe I'd be a much better rider if I was uh, riding up. What do you think? Kevin, you got to have a heart first to get it stimulated. Wow. That is really cold coming from you, Evan. Of all the times <laughs> I've helped you and nurtured you in your career, for you to turn your, your back on me like that. Well, it takes the heartless to know the heartless, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So let's let's go to the Ronald Jones thing. You know, what in the world? You're the guy testing positive for PEDs. He's suspended for two games. Why don't they they say adios? You know, let's go out and get us another veteran running back. Well, um, the, the veteran running backs out there right now are much better and want much more money. Part of that is why they're still out there, right? And Dalvin Cook and uh, Ezekiel Elliott. Those are those two guys top the list. Um, I, I think they're willing at this point to say, okay, l- let's just leave him in there in the mix because what happens if you're two running backs that you like behind Tony Pollard get nicked up? You know, then so – I just don't think they'll do anything prematurely. I don't think there's any point of cutting him right now. I think you say, okay, let's go through camp, see what the injury situation is. Look, there was no there was no assurance he was going to make this 53-man roster anyway. Um, you know, initially when they brought him in, I thought it was most likely he would be the short, you know, the short yardage back. And with his experience, uh, there was a pretty good chance he was going to be part of the three uh, running backs they would have active. But uh, going through the offseason, listening to people, um, I'm not so sure that's the case. I think if if he makes the roster, fine. If not, that just means that these younger guys that they pay less money, even less money to than they do him, uh, worked out. So for now, um, I, he'll still be here, but I, I would say he's in a very precarious position, even more so than he was before. Let's shift over to the other side of the uh, on the offensive line here uh, with Zach Martin. You brought that up a little bit a while ago. Uh, I guess the the issue here is that Zach wasn't really playing good poker when he texted his teammates and said, "I'll be back there soon." You know, yeah. uh, that's that's not really helping your leverage any when you say, "Yeah, I'm 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 like halfway out the door already." Yeah, and I think. Um you know, sometimes players have uh, leverage in situations. Other times they don't. 
uh, I mean, Zach Martin's leverage is that he's the he still remains one of the top guards in the league. Uh, you can even make an argument he's the best guard in the league, even at this age. But he does have two years left on his contract. Uh, you know, he is now, I believe the fine is now up to $450,000 uh, in counting. And unlike past years, like when Ezekiel Elliott held out, um, the, the collective bargaining agreement allowed the club to absolve or just uh, wipe away those fines, training camp fines. Uh, not anymore. Those stick. So now you're talking about money that comes out of whatever potential agreement you reach from the holdout going forward. So, um, you know, so he's lost 450. So that would go into anything he gets uh, coming up. Uh, you still subtract 450,000 from it as far as the negotiations. So I, I think this is, I, I thought initially that this would be resolved fairly quickly. Uh, I no longer think that. And it's going to be interesting to me. I mean, I, I still believe uh, Zach Martin's going to be the starting right guard when they open the season against the New York Giants. But uh, I, I think it's a little uh, dicey how we're going to get to that point from here. I'm just wondering what kind of fines we could absorb if we were to sit out. I, I think I could go as high as $5 a day. <laughs> I th- I get the impression that they would actually encourage some of us to to, <laughs> to hold out versus uh, what we are now producing. But sure, yeah, that's probably right. That's probably right. So, uh, David, uh, are there anything? Is there anything that's going to be happening? Give us an idea of what uh, our practice is going to be like uh, going forward uh, from right now. Is it? Well, they're they're in a stretch now. You know, they were out here a week before they had their first padded practice, which I know football purist and uh, old-time guy are going, are you kidding me? They go in a week without a padded practice? Uh, and th- yes, that includes you too, Kevin. Um, but uh, I like your old guy impression, David. Did you? Yeah. Do you like that? Yeah. Kevin does it better. But uh, Just natural with me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I don't, I don't remember if we talked about this last week before, but they – the entire time they're out here in Southern California, they're out here for three weeks, they have 10 padded practices. You know, teams used to have 10 padded practices over six days because they would go pads twice a day, you know. Uh, so it, so it's changed a lot. Uh, so there are 10 padded practices here. And right now they're in a stretch where they have four padded practices. Today will be uh, there's not one today. There's like a regeneration day. They'll have one tomorrow. But they're in a stretch. It started with Monday of four padded practices in six days. So 40% of their padded practices are coming in this week. And, uh, you know, Mike McCarthy was saying, especially with the young players, after this stretch, you really have a feel, okay, how are these guys going to make a contribution? How do we kind of conduct the rest of camp with them? What do we do with them? and go from there. So this is really, this is the, we're right now, even though it may not seem like it, uh, that the Cowboys are in the heavy lifting portion of a training camp to get a feel just how they're going to structure practice and, and how this thing looks going forward. So in these practices so far, David, who's your, uh, who's your surprise player so far? I know you, you uh, tweeted about one of the Cowboys uh, young wide receivers yesterday. Uh, so who you got so far? 
Yeah, uh, Jalen Brooks, uh, receiver out of South Carolina. Uh, he's looked really good. Now, I, I will preface this by saying in every camp, every year, a player flashes early where everyone goes, wow, this guy's really something. I can see him doing something. It's almost always a receiver. And the largest percentage of the time, they will disappear or just go, you know, fade into the background by the time regular season starts. Um, you know, early in camp last year, a lot of people were talking about uh, Dennis Houston. Uh, you know, but but Brooks has size and speed. Uh, he's made some outstanding catches. Um, he's he gives them a red zone threat, and and I think he's a guy who. And, and this guy was playing pretty well last year. You no, know, really, the, the first three wide receiver spots are set, right? And, and then you have the next two, and it's Tolbert, uh, who had a disappointing rookie season, who has looked good, and, and one more guy that you're going to throw in there. So I think when you talk about a guy flashing, uh, keep it in perspective. You know, I think Jalen Brooks is basically fighting Semi Fajoko uh, for one of those final two uh, wide receiver spots on the roster who's not going to get a lot of work this year, but it's someone you can develop. You know, on the other side of the ball, um, Eric Scott, uh, another one of their draft picks, uh, has been really, really good. And uh, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of positive things from the coaching staff about him as far as them thinking what he can contribute maybe this year beyond what they were thinking. So those are two of the draft picks early. You know, I, I haven't included Mozzie. Uh, Smith in here yet because they've just been in pads a couple of days and and you do you can't tell much about interior defensive linemen until you see them in pads day in and day out. Uh, but but his his strength is as advertised. Uh, he he gets in some pretty good uh, battles in there, and um, you know their second round pick Schoonmaker um, has plantar fasciitis and hadn't been able to take the field yet. So that's certainly uh, uh, you know to be determined on, on what he can do. Uh, on Mazzy Smith, is he a guy that you think is just going to be uh, – is he a one-trick pony? Is he just going to be a run stopper? Does he have a little bit of a motor? Does he have some quickness that he could, could get in the backfield and disrupt? Yeah, he has some quickness and get back in there, and they expect, they'll they expect him to do that some. Uh, they have said they felt that he just wasn't asked to do that in college, but they will ask him to do it here. But his primary focus is, look, there, you know – there's been talk about whether or not uh, this can be an elite defense and what they need to do to get there. And they felt in order to get to that elite status, they needed to be a better run-stopping team. And that is what they addressed uh, in the offseason. And and Mozzie Smith is a big part of that. So that will be his primary charge. But in this defense, uh, if you're doing your job and you're stopping the run, you're going to have some opportunities to get to the quarterback, and they expect him to provide some uh, interior push on the pocket from there. And he's strong enough, and and he and he and he's athletic enough where they believe that will happen. Again, um, I, I thought you know we talked to him the other day after first pad of practice, and and uh, this is a quote that kind of got the most attention. He said, um, "You know, it's not that I like football that much; I just like hitting people." Um, now. <laughs> I, I, I don't know that that is the ideal quote you want to hear about a first-round pick, that he doesn't love football that much. But um, any defensive coordinator is going to love the part about wanting to hit people, right? And, and whatever your motivation is, that's what a coach is going to play to uh, to get the most out of you. So, um, yeah, he's, again, good fit so far, but, it, but it's so early uh, on those guys. And, 
and even strong guys coming out of college have a way to go to, to match NFL strength, right? So, um, but I, I think he will definitely be part of that interior rotation and help them. David, I'm wondering if uh, of these last few years you've been covering the Cowboys, if this season, this training camp has fewer holes to plug, fewer questions uh, going into it than maybe in the, in the previous four or five. Yes, there, there is no doubt about that. Um, after, after you say who is going to be the kicker on this team, you look at the starting lineups on both sides of the ball, I think you're hard-pressed to say, you know, that's really an Achilles heel, either from a starting standpoint or, well, the starter's good, but they have no depth behind it. I think there are a few spots on the offensive side of the ball where you can go, well, boy, if he, if he goes down, what happens there? Or, you know, all, all these tight ends are so young. Can, can any one emerge? You know, there are a few questions like that. But you get to the defensive side of the ball and you go all 11 spots, I don't think you can pinpoint a weakness defensively where you say, oh, well, they really can upgrade here, even from either from an individual standpoint as far as the starter or the depth. And and I don't I don't think they've been able to say that about both sides of the ball in a long, long time. Yeah, it's certainly the most balanced that the team has been yes. where the defense and offense yes, both it is. good. Both uh, there's been times in a couple of decades, I would off. say. You know, in a couple of decades. Now I you know, I will say that there's that one year where uh, thirteen and three with uh, Tony Romo and that defense that was number one in the league, and they had thirteen Pro Bowl guys. Uh, that was a pretty solid group uh, all the way through. Uh, but but certainly since then, uh, this group is is there, and and, I, and we'll see how this plays out. I think you can make an argument that this group is uh, deeper and more accomplished uh, all the way through than that team was back in uh, was it two thousand eleven now or. I lose yeah. track. It all runs together, Kevin. It all runs together. Pretty much like all these podcasts. Uh, <laughs> all right. That's going to do it for our podcast as this week. We appreciate you tuning in. Uh, we hope that you'll come back next week and learn more about what's going on with the Cowboys. And then we'll find out how the Rangers are moving with their uh, new acquisitions. So from everybody in here to everybody out there, thanks. And we'll see you next time. Spoken Layer.